Side Hustle Show 219, growing traffic, monetization, list building, a day in the life, and more. 20 questions with Nick. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show, where aspiring part-time entrepreneurs learn how to turn their side hustle dreams into reality. Because your nine to five may make you a living, but your five to nine makes you alive. And now your host, Nick Loper. What's up, what's up, Nick Loper here. Welcome to the Side Hustle Show, special solo show for you today. We're taking a break from the interview format and diving back into the listener mailbag again for another edition of 20 Questions with Nick. As usual, lots of fun and challenging questions came in over the last three or four months since we uh, did this um, in the fall. And I've selected 20 to run through today for your listening pleasure. And as always, hopefully your benefit if you're in the same boat as the asker. Notes and links for this one are at SideHustleNation.com slash Q&A3. Of course, if you have a question, feel free to send it over to Nick at SideHustleNation.com. That is my email. I can't uh, guarantee an email response, but I will do my best. Um, but you just might be featured in the next round of 20 questions. Ready? Let's do it. Question number one comes in from Patrick. He asks, how do you work? What's a typical day in the life of Nick? Well, a day in the life, this is uh, this is going to be a snapshot of early 2017. So, of course, subject to change. Right now, waking up around 6.15 or 6.30 or whenever our one-year-old wakes up, which today happens to be uh, quite a bit earlier, um, getting him dressed, helping uh, make breakfast. And uh, usually what I do is make a breakfast smoothie with uh, vanilla protein powder, with um, frozen blueberries, with avocado and almond butter, lots of calories and super good. Um, the baby and uh, my wife, they uh, she drives him to daycare and they leave usually around 7, which is when I take the dog out and kind of start my day. Awesome to get some fresh air first thing in the morning when uh, you're just walking him up and down the street until he does his business. And uh, so I, after that, I might spend a few minutes kind of cleaning up from the, the breakfast rush. But really by 7.15, 7.30 is when I'm starting work. I normally uh, start work on my treadmill desk and try and tackle my, you know, number one top priority task that I identified the night before. Like this, this new micro habit of this year of doing at least one proactive task before email has been really helpful toward building positive momentum in the day. And, and on top of that, I think the treadmill desk thing, uh, you know, gets the blood flowing, gets, gets you moving, kind of builds that physical, uh, momentum towards the day as well. But by nine o'clock, I'm usually ready for a little, a little bit of a break and probably already walked uh, two or three miles by that point. So I'll go get a snack or make some tea or decide to do a quick uh, workout or shower. More frequently than going to the gym lately, I've been doing like home-based workouts, kettlebells and push-ups and kind of like a, a homemade CrossFit style of, of quick workout, usually just, you know, 15 minutes or so. My first meetings of the day usually start at 10 o'clock, um, although a couple days a week I have mastermind meetings uh, that start a little bit earlier. But 10 to 1 is usually in meetings, be that, you know, podcast recordings, um, trying to, you know, vet guests or, you know, do I don't know, meetings with other partners or just trying to figure out what's going on. Maybe that's interviews for other shows. And sometimes that's producing this week's episode we actually usually do on Tuesdays. Usually have lunch between one or two. And actually, this is kind of weird. I actually usually eat a breakfast lunch. So it's like lentils and, and scrambled eggs uh, with spinach and garlic and cumin and uh, you know, top it off with avocado and sriracha and salsa. It's super good. Uh, in the afternoon, I'm working on content for the side hustle site. I'm catching up on email from the morning, uh, doing marketing related tasks or longer term projects. For instance, when I was writing the buy buttons book, I blocked off four hours every Monday afternoon to get that done. And it ended up taking a little bit more time than that. But just putting that block on the calendar, you know, signaled to me that it was important. 
Um, I start winding down around five, which means again, taking the side hustle Shih Tzu out, um, for his, you know, evening, uh, evening duties, cleaning up the house before uh, Brent and the boy get home. Uh, they get home around five fifteen, five thirty, and then we get to work, you know, prepping dinner and, and playing with the kid after dinner, usually have an hour or two of, of playtime before, you know, he starts to get tired and is no longer fit for the land of the living. And it's time for bed, which is usually around eight these days, uh, eight to nine is usually, this is too detailed for you, I'm sorry, uh, eight to nine is usually spent catching up on email or other tasks from the day that just didn't get done and kind of planning out tomorrow's plan of attack, the top priority tasks, looking at the calendar, seeing what's what's going on, or, you know, sometimes, you know, watching Netflix, catching up. But lately, lately, Bryn wants to spend her evening time like editing pictures from her photo side hustle or designing t-shirts for her new Merch by Amazon Viz. You can check out the Merch by Amazon episode in the archives uh, from just a couple weeks ago. Lately, man, I don't know, this This is the new like parenting life. Lately, we're in bed by like 9.30 or 10. Uh, she got me a Kindle for Christmas. So I've been reading a little bit more at night lately, which I feel is a good thing, kind of getting back into that reading habit. And I still do try and practice like that nightly meditation. Usually do it like while lying in bed. Um, sometimes it makes me feel totally crazy that my you know, brain can't, can't shut off. But in a way, I think it is helpful to try and, okay, force yourself to quiet your mind, um, and fall asleep. So, you know, okay, focus on your breath, you know, as you wander, go back and focus on your breath. And, and that's been kind of helpful in at least some nights curing some of that <laughs> nighttime insomnia. We're both off Fridays, um, most Fridays, and uh, there's no daycare that day. So we have a three day weekend almost every week, which is pretty awesome. Question number two comes from Jonathan. He asks, what's the download tool you use on Side Hustle Nation? Did you develop it or is it a WordPress plugin or what? Uh, so Jonathan, I'm actually using lead pages for that. It delivers the files and it syncs up with, with Aweber, my email service provider. If you want to check it out yourself at sidehustlenation.com slash lead pages is my affiliate link for that. There are some free alternatives. You might be able to get this done using Sumo Me. I'm not, I was never able to like fully get it functional, but you might be able to do that. There is a plugin called Pop-Up Maker that you might also be able to use and, uh, you know, embed the form fill from your email service provider in that to get a similar kind of two-step opt-in. You want to piece it together with some, with some free alternatives. Question number three comes from Bob. He asks, can I make money showing people how to sell on eBay? And uh, the answer to that is, is obviously yes. People have been doing that for the last 20 years. The, the challenges or what I think you're going to need to, uh, to get started is probably a unique angle to come at it from and, and to attract an audience in that field. Like there, I mean, you can just look on Amazon, um, you know, and, and check out the bestseller ranks of books that talk about selling on eBay. So, you know, there's a market for that. You know, there's a market for people trying to learn this stuff, just a kind of a matter of, you know, carving out your space in that field. Question number four comes from Thomas. He says, uh, in my eyes, you are one of the many people who have made it in the online space. Well, thank you for that, Thomas. I'm, I'm still working on it or working on making it every day. Uh, granted, he says, he goes on to say, granted, there are different levels of success and I'm sure you wouldn't mind another million or so followers, but what sort of struggles do you have at this stage of the game? Struggles for me are email, like I mentioned at the top of the show, trying to figure out what, uh, trying to figure out what to work on next, trying to figure out, you know, the next content ideas. Um, spend a lot of time, you know, vetting guests right now and dealing with, uh, you know, all of the pitches, trying to filter out the pitches that come across my desk. I've probably talked about this before, how the good pitches are, are great because you're like, all right, let's make something happen. And the bad pitches are great because you're like, I can just ignore you. It's the, it's the mediocre pitches or the medium ones that really take the most time. You're like, okay, there might be something here. There might be something to serve side hustle nation here, but I'm not, 
uh, you know, and then, and then you just spend all this time and, and kind of brain power trying to figure out what that angle is going to be. But that means there's always going to be something to struggle on. Probably, you know, the biggest challenge or one of the biggest challenges is doing important work instead of easy work. It's easy to fall into a routine. And this is true for, for entrepreneurs. It's true for employees that before long, you don't really question it at all. And that's just, that's just the way it is. That's just what I do. And so really one of the biggest challenges too is figuring out, you know, for me this year and, and beyond is, you know, figuring out how to serve side hustle nation in the best possible way and then going out and executing on that. And don't get me wrong. That's a great challenge to have, but. I've never been here before, so I'm not sure what exactly to do next. And it's helpful to have masterminds and peers who've kind of, you know, gone down similar paths. Um, of course, part of that is going to be staying true to myself, true to my family, and true to the lifestyle that we want and really sculpting the business to fit around that lifestyle. So, I mean, that's pretty much the same challenge as everybody else, right? Just did a different, different nuances to those challenges. Question five comes from Lauren. She asks, so I followed the step-by-step -step plan in your course. She's talking about the KindleLaunchCourse.com and got over a thousand free downloads for my book. Unfortunately, actual paid sales have been lackluster. Do you have any tips or know of a course from someone reputable like yourself who can help me genu uh, generate continued sales from Amazon? So Lauren, a thousand downloads is great. That's, that's awesome validation for your product. That's, you know, a thousand people that are reading your stuff that might otherwise never have found it. But the secret to sustained sales on Amazon or anywhere else really is sustained traffic. And that can come from Amazon itself. Like we talked about with Dave Chesson and Kindle research and keywords, um, and, you know, internal Amazon ranking factors and stuff like that, or it can come from your own outside efforts. So within Amazon, you can put on your, you know, blogger hat, your SEO hat, and think what keywords people are going to search for to find your book. Can you include those if you haven't already in your, your subtitle, your title, your description, your, you know, keywords that are in your KDP dashboard? Probably doesn't make sense to change the title and cover at this point, but like, you know, the subtitle and the description are probably ripe for that. Now, one thing I've been testing in the past couple months is Amazon's internal advertising service, AMS, Amazon Marketing Service, I think it's called. The ads I've made for buy buttons have been profitable, and I've actually gotten a little obsessed in checking their performance every day. But I'm having a little bit of a harder time developing a profitable campaign for work smarter and kind of scaling up the sales from uh, from some or of some of my older titles. But I think it's a really cool platform. You just target keywords. You can target other titles in your niche. It's a, a fantastic way to get your book in front of potential readers for really like I think my average CPC is, you know, 14 cents or something. So it's really kind of a, a low cost way to, to see if, you know, there's demand for this to drive some sustained traffic. Now, the other thing to consider to potentially boost conversions um, in Lauren's case would be to add paperback and an audiobook edition. Paperback at the very least, because it's easy to do through CreateSpace, kind of like they have a what you see is what you get editor. I think it's pretty easy to format. For, for there, I think you're, you're going to see some incremental revenue from that. But more importantly, I think it makes your title look more legit because, you know, you have a paperback version. It's not just an ebook. And I think it makes the Kindle version appear to be more attractively priced. Now, Lauren has an advantage because she's also got um, a blog presence where she's got traffic coming to her site every day. And that's some built in traffic that she could use to drive to Amazon. And in a way, it's a warm traffic. They've already, you know, are somewhat familiar with her and her brand because they're, you know, on her blog. So she could plug the book in a, a hello bar type of situation, kind of like a, a call to action bar at the very top of the page, which I ran for, for a few months, um, with Sumo Me's smart bar, um, at the top of the page. Hey, you know, go to 
this link and, you know, here's 300 plus, you know, side hustle ideas for, for $3.99 or something, I think is what it said. Uh, she could do that in the sidebar of her site. She could do that on her about page. Hey, by the way, I wrote this book. I mean, you could include this in your, you know, a link to the book in your email signature or looking for, you know, Quora posts related to, you know, whatever topic the book is on might be some other ways to drive some traffic. But that really, that's the two ingredients, you know, traffic and conversions and trying to figure out, okay, how do I, you know, how do I get traffic there? And just thinking, put your thinking cap on and seeing what other sources you might have available to you. When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search and hit the ground running with your new hire. But what if you could get rid of the search part and just get matched with qualified candidates? Well, now you can with our sponsor, Indeed. It's simple. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. The matching and hiring platform is trusted by over 3.5 million businesses worldwide to connect with great talent faster. And 93% of employers agree that Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. For my next hire, I'm using Indeed to tap into a talent pool of 350 million unique monthly visitors. And what else is cool is Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use it, the better it gets. And how about this? Side Hustle Show listeners get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Just go to Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash Side Hustle Show. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you travel a lot for work or for a vacation, you might be familiar with that feeling you get knowing you're leaving your space unused for long periods of time and you're still paying for that privilege. But hosting on Airbnb means you don't have to leave your home sitting empty when you're away. Being an Airbnb host isn't just a way to earn some extra cash. It's a chance to share your space and make a guest's vacation all the more memorable. You might be thinking, eh, maybe my place isn't the right fit, but don't write it off just yet. Your potential Airbnb might be right in front of you. Whether it's a spare room or even your entire home, there's an opportunity waiting. Airbnb turns your home into a practical and even profitable venture. We just got back from a family trip to Hawaii where we stayed in a great Airbnb, but our place back home could have been a highlight to somebody else's travels, and we could have used the extra cash to help pay for the trip. So if you're curious about hosting on Airbnb, find out how much your space could be worth by visiting airbnb.com slash host. Once again, that's airbnb.com slash host. Question number six is from Ray. He asks, I want to trademark my business name, and I'm asking if you know the steps to make that happen. So Ray, I've never really trademarked anything before, so I'm not sure what that process is like from the ground floor, but I know you can start your application on the uh, USPTO.gov site. That's the United States Patent and Trademark Office, um, and it's going to cost as little as $225. Now, I've heard that your trademark protection is really only valuable to the extent that you have the budget and the uh, legal firepower to protect it. And that's something we talked about in a little more depth in my episode with small business attorney Elizabeth Potts-Weinstein in episode 204. So I'll link that up for this uh, for you in the show notes at sidehustlenation.com slash Q&A3. But the bottom line, especially if you're pre-revenue, I wouldn't let, you know, trademark or copyright, you know, I wouldn't really let that be a bottleneck in your business. I'd get started first and then really worry about that down the road. Now, of course, you can run a search at USPTO uh, to make sure no one else is using your name, which might be a good thing to to get started before you, or rather, that would be a good thing to get 
to search for before you get started. But uh, otherwise, uh, I wouldn't stress too much about that at this point. Question seven comes from Ben. He says, I noticed you've got some really great uh, Pinterest thumbnail images. Have you got any tips or resources or a how-to guide for these images? How do you make them uh, PowerPoint or how do you pick the typeface and images, etc.? So Ben, uh, thank you. Flattery is a good way to get on the show, of course. Um, so I aim for uh, a thousand pixels wide by 1500 pixels tall. And this is just uh, the dimensions that Rosemary Groner gave me uh, from busybudgeter.com in uh, the episode we did, I believe, is episode 142, all about how to drive traffic from Pinterest. I typically use pexels.com, uh, P-E-X-E-L-S.com, uh, to source the images and then use pickmonkey.com uh, to add the text overlays. So if you visit uh, pinterest.com slash side hustle, you can check out the best of side hustle nation board and you can see the images that Ben's talking about. Now I'm clearly not a, a graphic designer. And so most of these I created myself, but I'm uh, considering testing out some other graphic design service because uh, it, it, it can be time consuming to try and pick the right image. It's like, well, you know, maybe, maybe I should be doing something else with my time. But it, on the other hand, it is kind of fun to like I'm there's some there's some that I'm like really proud of like man I really nailed that <laughs> that Pinterest image. Now question number eight comes from Stephen. He asks, "What do you do for motivation when you feel lazy?" So so if laziness is a constant struggle, I think you really got to you reevaluate your big picture why. Like if you're simply not motivated, you probably don't have a strong enough reason to hustle to be motivated, and and that's totally okay. But you know for day to day bouts of laziness, which definitely come across. So I try these tricks. Number one, break a sweat, like get off my butt and get moving, get and do some exercises, you know, go for, you know, I don't really go for runs anymore, but like, you know, go do some pushups, go do some kettlebells, um, you know, break a sweat. Um, you're not getting any work done anyway, so you might as well do something that's healthy. And I think you're going to find it often sparks some renewed uh, motivation. Tactic number two is to make it a game. And sometimes when I have a task I'm procrastinating on or really just don't want to do, I'm going to set up. Uh, Pomodoro timer, uh, which is like, you know, we talked about with John Lee Dumas recently, uh, you know, work for 25 minutes, take a five minute break, and then, you know, reward myself afterwards with, uh, with a snack or with, you know, checking email or checking Facebook or something, uh, but to gamify it a little bit. And, you know, maybe idea number three to combat laziness is to do a micro task. So I live and die by my to-do lists and get a lot of satisfaction from crossing off something off that list, you know, however small it is. But even if that task is, you know, super quick, super easy, sometimes knocking out two or three of those like really easy wins is enough to kick up the motivation, keep plowing ahead and start tackling some some bigger projects too. Question nine comes from Sarah. She asks, if you were to grow a brand new site from zero traffic to 10,000 visitors in under 30 days, how would you do it? So Sarah, there are a couple things um, you probably want to have in place before going after 10,000 visitors. Number one is a reason why you want or need that traffic in the first place. Like what's the goal of your site? Because chasing traffic for the sake of watching your Google Analytics spike is probably pretty pointless. The second thing to consider is, you know, or do you have a way to capture those people so they keep coming back for more, like 10,000 people who come and then immediately leave? Also pretty pointless. So Sumo Me, again, I've mentioned that a couple times, is great for that to, you know, capture emails. Lead pages is great for that. Um, a free plugin called Magic Action Box is great for that. Adds a little call to action box at the end of your posts. But with those housekeeping issues out of the way, I think you're your ticket to 10,000 visitors is pretty straightforward. You know, first, you've got to create something, you know, Seth Godin's purple cow, right? You got to create something remarkable and then tell as many people about it as you can. 
Now, as far as remarkable content, what I do is try and just try and create something that's like, you know, twice or 10 times more helpful than anything else on the topic. And it's probably cliche. It's probably been said a million times before. But, you know, if you're brand new, like you really got to create something that's too good to ignore. For me, um, an example would be like the the 200 sharing economy <laughs> services or 200 sharing economy platforms from last summer. Whereas like, you know, I was looking for this list. I couldn't find it. So I was like, you know what? I got to, I'm going to build it. And on top of that, I had 200 different companies that I could reach out to and say, hey, I featured you in this post. And a lot of them ended up sharing it on their social channels as well. So really, you know, what that looks like logistically is, you know, spending a ton of time on the content itself. You know, all of my top performing posts have, you know, 40 hours or more of work into them. And so, you know, if I'm spending, if I have a month to do this in 30 days, I, if I have 30 days to do this, you know, the first three weeks is, you know, creating that content. And the final week is spent marketing it. So the more people you can link to, the better, because then you got that excuse to send them a note and, uh, and see if they'll share it. In question 10, Naveed asks, what are your main sources of monetization from your blog? And I guess from life itself, he asks, obviously it would appear you get sponsorships for your podcast, affiliate links from posts, ad revenue and all that. But do you do any other consulting for more revenue or engage in other side hustle, other businesses? Well, Naveed, you nailed it. Sponsorship and affiliate revenue are the biggest pieces of the pie right now on Side Hustle Nation. I've scaled back the one-on-one consulting and freelancing uh, in the last year or so. And I'm kind of in the process of rethinking and restructuring the uh, the private mastermind group the mastermind was actually the first monetization channel outside of you know the odd you know amazon affiliate link and stuff where i charged $97 a month for a 3 month mastermind it took five or six people at a time now outside of side hustle nation all of the various side hustles are still running in the cash register thankfully that could be you know that's like self publishing that's some smaller affiliate sites that i run that's my udemy course my fiverr sales my investment ex- experiments they all kind of fall under that side hustle umbrella but do add to the bottom line each month so that's how uh, that's how the that's how the monetization picture is coming together for me in uh, in 2017 so far question 11 comes from glenn he says i've been stuck at 300 daily page views for my blog for a while and i publish once a week i was thinking of changing that to every other day publishing smaller articles 500 to 700 words do you have any thoughts on this so glenn traffic has plateaued and I'm not sure if more content is the answer. Instead, you know, you have this whole library of content. So maybe investing some more time in marketing those assets you've already created would would help move the needle a little bit. For instance, I know we'll beat the Pinterest drum a little bit, but I've seen great results on Pinterest in the last 15 months. I'll link up my case study and tutorial in the show notes for this episode at sidehustlenation.com slash Q and A3. Also, the best uh, performing articles for me have been much longer form content not 500 to 700 words, but more like 3000 words or more. Um, you know, the 500 word posts really seem to to do very much for me. And there's some data to suggest that, you know, the, the posts that are ranking on the first page of Google are all, you know, on average over 2000 words. That's one part of it. The other thing to consider is, you know, what's the point of each post and not everything you need to write needs to have a, a definitive goal or some ulterior motives but if you start thinking about your blog in that way it might take your content create might make your content creation a little bit easier or at least give it some direction for example is this a relationship building post uh, you know where readers get to know a little bit more about you is the goal of this post to drive new email subscribers if it is how are you going to do that do you have a content upgrade is the goal of this post to you know drive some affiliate sales all of that will kind of factor into you know how you can 
bring more traffic to your site and also make the most of the traffic that's already coming. Question 12 comes from Olivia. She asks, what's your number one email list building tactic? And so Olivia, the the list building tactic that I found most effective is creating content specific opt-in offers and linking those in the post itself or mentioning those on the podcast it's related to. In the case of the blog, the simplest way to do that was just to create a PDF version of the post to download and read later. If you have a really long epic article, this can be surprisingly effective. So I just looked up the data on one of my posts. So uh, one of my very early posts on the site, um, more than 5,000 people have opted in for the PDF version of my list of side hustle ideas and that you can find at sidehustlenation.com slash ideas. That's, that's crazy. And if, if you think about how high it could have been, because I didn't even install that PDF version, I didn't even give people that option until, you know, the post was probably over a year old. So kind of <laughs> kind of crazy to think about. Uh, on the podcast, you hear me mention these opt-in offers on the podcast all the time. Once I started doing them consistently, that was really the inflection point for for the Side Hustle Nation brand and and business. And at that time, it was really just still a side project from, from my shoe business. And, and since then, it's turned into my main focus. Question 13 comes from Stephanie. She says, I'm working on creating my own blog and website, and I'll need to conduct some interviews over the phone. What technology do you use to record a phone interview so you can focus on the conversation rather than frantically taking notes? So Stephanie, you can record with uh, with a free Google Voice number. If you just hit four, I believe, during the call, it's going to send you an MP3 file afterwards. But um, I've recorded with Skype since episode one of the podcast. The the issue I had is late last year, my uh, call graph recording software stopped working. Um, my guess is due to a Skype software update. So lately, I've been playing around with a voiceover IP tool called Zencaster and another Skype recorder called Amolto, A-M-O-L-T-O. And uh, the most recent interview episodes uh, were all recorded with Amolto. So um, hopefully they sound okay. If they don't, uh, you know, let me know in the comments if you notice anything funky about that. Question 14 comes from Shane. He says, hey, quick question out of curiosity. The podcast highlight reel show notes are great. Uh, I actually usually look at them instead of the podcast when I don't have time to listen. But what's the benefit of making them a PDF instead of putting them up on your site where I would assume they would help you more with SEO? So this is a great question, Shane. Actually, a few people have asked this or similar questions. So there's it's definitely a trade-off. So I keep them off the site and use them as opt-in bait. And that's a strategy that's worked, you know, really, really well in the last uh, two and a half years, um, because probably two thirds of my email list has come from those highlight reels. And then I include them in the newsletter, actually at a subscriber's suggestion. So people who've already opted in don't have to punch in their email again to get the, to get the new ones. I've also used those uh, highlight reels to turn into books like the Side Hustle Path series and even segments of uh, of buy buttons came or originated in those PDF uh, downloads. Now, that's not to say you can't publish something that's already online in blog form, but it did make me feel a little bit better about, you know, repackaging it and charging for it, knowing that it was already kind of positioned as like a premium piece of content. Question 15 comes from Bill. He says, my new idea is to start selling on Amazon FBA. I signed up with a pro seller account, downloaded the Profit Bandit app. Now I need to find inventory to sell. What do you think would be a good way to start? I would be happy to make a few hundred dollars a month. So, Bill, I think that is definitely feasible. I haven't done much sourcing lately, probably in the last year or so, but everything I've bought to resell so far has just been from local stores like Walmart, Target, Home Depot, Office Depot, Walgreens, and ended up making about $650 in the year or so that I was sourcing locally. I think if I had dedicated more time to it and educating myself, I'm 
really confident I could have gotten to the few hundred dollar uh, a month level or or beyond. Now, one resource to check out might be my chat with Asad Siddiqui, where he gets into um, you know online sourcing to save time. So that's episode 157 of the Side Hustle Show. Question 16 comes from Marquine. She says, I'm currently experiencing a quarter-life crisis. I've always wanted to start my own business, but I don't know what or where to even begin. Plus, I have this doubt telling me that I'm not good enough. I know this is just an excuse, especially coming from my current field of work where I just don't feel it's important to what I want in my life. So one thing I would like to know is what made you silence your doubt of not being good enough? So this is actually a really important question, Marquine. I think self-doubt is something that always sticks with us or or maybe it comes maybe it comes to us with age and maturity if you have self-doubt that's probably a good sign because i wish i had half the confidence i did um i wish i had half the confidence today as i did when i was 16 now the only way i think i've improved as a business owner as a blogger as a podcaster and even as a husband and a father is through practice like every expert started as a beginner, right? It's okay to suck at the beginning. It's expected. It's um, it's like a rite of passage in a way. Good enough is uh, is relative. You don't have to be good enough to be an all-star. You just have to be good enough to start and then get better every day. Like every every World Series hero, you know, started out in T-ball 25 years ago. We just don't see that part of, uh, of the journey. Uh, question... Actually, one more sports analogy. <laughs> Indulge me here. So I was on the swim team as a kid. Like this is probably like when I'm 10 or 12, and I'm getting discouraged that I kept losing my races. And it didn't didn't really take long before mom and dad uh, pulled me aside and explained, like, look, Nick, you're really only racing against yourself. Your goal doesn't have to be to get first place. Your goal should be to beat your time from the last race. And after that, swimming got much more fun and actually became a really important part of my life all the way through high school. All right, let's jump back in here for the last few questions. Number 17 comes from Anthony. He says, I started doing uh, research on side hustles and uh, how to start a business on the side. I began listening to your podcast. I've binged up to around episode 50 right now. Well, Anthony, the the best is yet to come. Um, And I'm extremely interested in starting my own side hustle. However, I'm not sure where I should start or what skill I could translate to a new business. I'm interested in slash learning about fitness and finances and investing, considering starting a blog for fitness and finance to share my journey, post content and review products. I know those two topics are not related, and most of this has been written before. Uh, whether this is a lucrative idea for a side hustle or not, or if it at least provides some accountability to uh, keep up with these things, let me know. So, Anthony, a couple things uh, that stood out in your message. So, first, obviously, I'm a little biased, but I do like blogging. <laughs> it started out as a, a fun, creative outlet for me, and has turned into a full-time business. Of course, you know, it took eight years or so to to make that happen with another uh, business in the middle. Um, you can visit blogstartercourse.com, check out my free video series on how to get your own blog up and running. Um, a couple of things. So there are a lot of fitness sites out there and there are a lot of finance sites out there, but there are probably pretty few finance plus fitness sites, which could be a compelling angle. Could be. I don't know. Um, it's hard. It's hard. Always hard to, to validate these things. But take take example um, what Steve Cam's done over at NerdFitness.com. Right? There's you know a ton of fitness sites. We found a different niche to it, like how to be you know nerdy and fit. I guess on the business idea front, a business that hasn't been done before is a risky business. Like so, I would guess to say you know go look at what else is out there and see how you might be able to pivot. Uh, pivot it or put your own unique spin on it. Like one that came across my desk just uh, just this month is a is a service called UnicornGo.com, which, and they sell graphic design services. 
people have been paying for graphic design services for decades, but their unique spin is selling it as a lower-priced monthly subscription package. Question 18 is from Mark. He says, I'm on the hunt for some engaging language requesting a consulting referral from a non-client. Would you assist? In the past, I've been referred to Alan Weiss's template as follows, but frankly, I find it cold and generic. And then he pastes in the template here, which is pretty cold and generic. Okay, Mark. So this is, this is actually a really good question. You know, how do you get, you know, referrals? How do you turn your network into your network's network, right? How do you get referrals from people you're not even doing business with? So when, uh, when people ask me for referrals, it's tough to pick someone or something out of, out of thin air. Like I always did better on the multiple choice tests at school. So one thing that might be interesting to try is to, uh, stalk your clients LinkedIn uh, connection. Like if you hit your, um, if you hit their profile page and, uh, and you hit the part that says, you know, 500 plus connections or however many they have, it's going to show you a list of all their connections. That way you can narrow down, uh, that field, uh, by keyword. So if you type in like marketing and uh, see if you have any ideal prospects in there. So if you're like a marketing consultant, you could, you know, find this non-client that you want a referral from, hit up their LinkedIn page, do this search and so you find out who they're connected to. Hey, would you mind referring me to Jim, would you mind referring me to Bob? Would you mind referring me to Jill? And that way you can come back to your client or your non-client with a list of, you know, three or four potential referrals. It's a lot easier them to uh, say, yeah, I think actually that might be a good fit or, you know, I'm happy to pass along an introduction or reach out on your behalf to see if they'd like to connect. So uh, that's probably how I would go about reaching, you know, trying to get referrals from, from non-clients. Uh, let me know if you try that out. Let me know how that works. I felt pretty good about coming up with, with that one. Okay, question 19 comes from someone calling himself, uh, perhaps ironically, best writer, asks, uh, please, can you sell email list of a responsive USA members to me? And so he's asking if I could sell him an email list of, of people in the United States. And uh, unfortunately, the answer is is no, absolutely not. Um, you, you don't even want to do that. Plus, So like buying an email list uh, might Maybe it seems like the fast track, but it's really only a fast track to getting your messages marked as spam and probably making, you know, whatever email account you're sending from pretty worthless. Like, that's definitely not something you want to do. Instead, try and consider, oh, how else are you going to get in front of that target audience through email? Maybe you can sponsor a newsletter. Maybe you could propose some joint venture. Maybe you could write a guest post like uh, Michelle from Making Sense of Sense did, and she got a shout in the in the newsletter um, last week. Or, you know, taking it, you know, making, making a guest appearance on the podcast. Like those are all ways you can get in front of somebody's email list without, without buying it. Plus you just like, that's not, you know, you don't want to do that. That's like not, not permission marketing as, as Seth Godin would say. And finally, question number 20 comes from Adrian. He says, you got me thinking about some productized services. I do quick question. Would you recommend testing the market on a platform like Fiverr first or launching independently and trying to hustle for some customers instead. My assumption is that the Fiverr option will get me more customers faster, but could devalue the service and prevent me from taking those customers outside the platform. Uh, my response was, I really like Adrian's approach of using Fiverr as a testing ground, um, as a proving ground for new service ideas, and even new product ideas. Like we heard from Kendall in last week's show at that side hustle nation com slash two eighteen will get you over there. Who uh, she ended up doing a hundred grand in profit on Fiverr in a little under eighteen months. So there is definitely a market over there, but I can understand the concern too. Like, do you really want to set up shop on the five dollar marketplace? And that's a completely fair question. So the question for Adrian is: Do you think there's a way to offer a, a bite sized version of your service on Fiverr and use that 
as a way to perhaps generate leads for the for the main service or the flagship service. For example, when I was doing um, the five dollar website audits, it would have been the perfect lead in to you know a much to a much broader, much bigger scale like full you know web development business. And five because I had people asking me all the time like, hey, can you, you know, this this information is great. Thank you for your feedback. Can you just do what you said you were going to do, or you, can you just make the make the recommended changes? It's like you know, no, sorry, that's not really my my focus. But if I had you know the business on the back end to support that, it absolutely would have been a fantastic lead generator. And and Fiverr gives you the tools to sell now at much higher price points on the platform. Like we heard from from Kendall with the tiered pricing packages and her average order, you know, be five hundred nine hundred dollars, and uh, and you can do custom offers like we heard from a narco fighter up to ten thousand dollars. Might take a little bit of more, uh, a little bit of more work, kind of at those devalued rates to build up your profile enough to get there. But I think there's definitely room for premium positioning on the site, and and like we talked about, definitely a super fast way to test out a new idea. That's it for me. Notes and links from this episode are at sidehustlenation.com/q&a3. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time, let's go out there and make something happen. And I'll catch you in the next edition of the Side Hustle Show, where we're going to dive into some advanced SEO tactics to get more traffic to your site. I'll see you then. Hustle on. Thanks for listening to the Side Hustle Show at www.sidehustlenation.com. 